0: Had someone to love me Welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In each episode of this podcast, I, I pick up a volume of the Library of America, look at about 100 pages of it, and give my thoughts and comments. And, and I'm kind of focused on more on the historical uh, background of, of these novels and stories and nonfiction writing and everything else collected in that, that great series. And currently, I'm in the middle of reading through Theodore Dreiser's, um, you know, wonderful 1923 novel, *An American Tragedy*. Sorry, 1925 novel, *An American Tragedy*. Um, prior to writing this, Dreiser had not published a novel for almost about for, for for like ten years, and that that shows you how much work he put into this. In fact, the case that this novel is based off of took place back in 1906, and Dreiser had been collecting and researching that case in detail, and many of the the, the facts line up. Between the case described in the story and the real-life case, and there there are some places where it diverges. And I think Dreiser makes his account a little bit more ambiguous than the than the actual case makes it seem. The case determined that this woman was actually straight up murdered. Dreiser's much, you know, does give a little bit more opening for interpretation, right? So different readers might come to different um, points of view about this particular case as it's presented in the novel. But again, you know, who knows? I, I'm pretty sure Dreiser thought the, the historical case was a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say it, a little bit fuzzier, right? Because a lot of what Dreiser does in this story is build up the, the historical context that led to this young man p- being put in this position where this young woman, he got pregnant, dies. It's... You know, and this is something that, that kind of the defense attorneys in the case later in the novel seem to try to build up about him—that really that he's a, he's kind of a victim of circumstance, right? In fact, that that could have been the name of the no, of the novel, right? And of course, Dreiser calls the novel an American tragedy. He's not referring here, it seems to me, he's not referring to the the death of Roberta Alden, um, although that certainly is a tragedy, but it's the whole chain of events that lead to that death and then lead to the execution of, of Clyde Griffiths. It's the whole thing, the whole package is the American tragedy and everything that goes into it, whether it's his upbringing or the class structure in American society and the pressure that puts on young people, the, the sexual politics and sexual hypocrisy of, of the era. Because somewhere, I think it's one of the, the defense attorneys in the case, towards the end, of the novel points out you know, what Clyde Griffiths did was morally cowardice and, and offensive, but it's not something that, that many young men didn't do, right? Uh, the, you know, getting a girl pregnant and abandoning her, or trying to get an abortion, or trying to avoid marrying a girl they got pregnant, that's a pretty common thing in, in American life at the time, but it's just like all the, everything lined up, unfortunately, for, for this character, Clyde Griffiths. So the whole thing is the tragedy, it seems. And, you know, I'm going to talk about this in later episodes, but, and although I couldn't find anything confirming this in my, in brief research about Theodore Dreiser, you know, this novel can be read as an anti-death penalty novel as well. The central event of, of the last part of the novel is of course the execution of, of Clyde Griffiths. But anyways, I I I'm talking about this because I wanted to take a moment to to go back and look at this historical case that informed Dreiser's novel. Before I get into what I guess it's the 400 pages of of an American Tragedy, covering roughly page three hundred to four hundred of of the book. So let's talk about this this case briefly, and I'll do this just by going to the Wikipedia entry. Um, the the real the real historical event that that informs this is the murder of Grace Brown by by a young man named Chester Gillette. Now, Dreiser, of course, uses the same initials, Chester Gillette and Clyde Griffith, and um, a lot of the same events, in fact, even some of the same letters. And, and here's what Wikipedia says about about Grace Grace May Brown. So she was born in 1886, died in July 1906. That's pretty much, I think that's the same date, except the year is different. I think this is set more in the or contemporary era, but the the I don't know if we get ever dates. I don't remember seeing any actual year dates for this, so I just kind of assume it's it's nineteen twenty five set. But but it's in the summer, right? It's in July that that uh, Roberta Alden's killed. So she's she's a very young woman. Yeah, in the novel, Roberta is older than than Clyde. Clyde's a little bit younger here in real life. Uh, Chester Gillette was was a little bit older than. Grace Brown okay anyway she was a an American shirt factory worker whose murder caused a nationwide sensation and whose life inspired the fictional character Roberta Alden in Theodore Dreiser's novel as well as Jennifer Donnelly's novel a northern light the facts of the real murder are laid out in two nonfiction books both published in 1986 Adirondack tragedy and murder in the Adirondacks they, now, just jumping in here, those both those novels sound kind of sensationalist, like popular crime fiction. I, I you know, I could check them out, take a look to see if how academic they are. Um, I do know that these kind of real life murder cases attract a lot of popular interest. There's a whole section in the bookstores, right, on real crime. Um, whether any academics have really dissected this case, I'm not sure. The culture, I, I guess, a historian would be more likely to be interested in the culture behind it and the the kind of the social. St- system around it than the actual facts of of the case, that's as they're prone to do. But anyways, childhood of, of, of Grace Brown. Brown grew up in South O'Salic, New York, the daughter of a successful Chengoga County farmer. She was repeatedly given the nickname Billy because of her love for the contemporary hit song Won't You Come Home, Bill Bailey. RNF and signed her letters, The Kid, after the Western Outlaw Billy the Kid. She attended grammar school in the village and became close friends with the teacher Maud Kenyon Crumb and her husband. In 1904, she moved to nearby Cortland to live with her married sister and went to work at the Gillette Skirt Company. Okay, so Cortland is the real life, like her just uh the novel, the the place where where Clyde ends up working with his his um uncle working for his uncle's factory. So there it's the the Griffiths. Uh, collar company, right? They're making collars, not, not skirts, but very, very close parallels, obviously. Okay, next part. Romance. Chester Gillette, the company's owner's nephew, moved to Cortland in 1905 and began a romantic and sexual relationship with Brown. In spring 1906, Brown became pregnant and she returned to her parents in South gillette agreed to take her away to the adirondacks apparently promising marriage because brown packed her entire wardrobe for the trip and gillette packed just a small suitcase some 21st century historians conjecture that gillette had promised to take brown to a home for unwed mothers in upstate new york gillette brown stayed the night in new york then continued to train to tupper lake in franklin county spending the night Rain on the next day ruined their plans for an outing on the nearby lake, so they returned south again by train to Big Moose Lake in Herkmere County, New York. Now this, the the, the fictionalized events of this are, are fairly similar. and They actually come up a lot in the trial because his, you know, when Clyde lies, essentially lies and perjures himself in trying to get out of it and trying to reconstruct what actually happened that night or the, the, over those days, he messed up a lot of facts. Facts that were backed up by, by like financial accounts and records and, and documents that the prosecution had and that all really exposes him as basically an unreliable um, His testimony is unreliable and what gets him Big part of what can convict him another big part of it of course is just the public outrage at it and you know in, in a way Clyde and the story is, is Presented much more as a as a victim of kind of mass hysteria um, Political machinations and all these kinds of things Anyways, next section of the Wikipedia article on, on Grace Brown. Murder! On July 11, the couple were seen rowing out to Moose Big Moose Lake near Covewood Lodge. Gillette had entered the pseudonym Carl Graham in the register. Um, Gillette is believed to have struck... Brown over the head with a tennis racket and she fell out of the boat and drowned. Gillette returned alone and gave varying explanations for what had occurred. Brown's body was found the next day and Gillette was arrested in the nearby town of Inlet, New York. The defense at trial attempted to explain that Grace was perplexed and then just jumped out of the boat and into the water. Gillette testifies, we talked a little bit more and she got up and jumped into the water. She just jumped in. End quote. So th- that's not what happens in the novel. Uh, Dreiser is much more interested in this character of Clyde Griffith and how he is portrayed and seen and how that contrasts with his real monologue, right and how he presents himself publicly. There's really many different Clydes presented out there. There's kind of the the popular image of him as a brutal murder, you know, murderer. There's his internal monologue where he's a really waffly person, indecisive. He can't really he, he thinks he's the going to murder her and then he decides not to. and then he, you know, and then he's really it's much more muddled and he's driven by all these different desires. In fact, it's that internal monologue that I think is the most interesting. And then you have what the defense present, which is just a moral coward who is a victim of circumstance. And and I don't think Dreiser likes either the public presentations here. So he you know, to have it just be well, she killed herself, right? Is would have undermined, I think, Dreiser's purpose, which was to really get at uh, you know these these different vis- versions of of Clyde Griffith. So uh there the way it's presented there is is just an accidental hit which is kind of a bit what happened although Clyde certainly puts this young woman in the position that where she died right so there's a lot of guilt there um that's all there's a little section here on love letters that's interesting actually um in Gillette's rented room authorities confiscated Brown's love letters to Gillette as evidence district attorney George Ward read the letters aloud to the court during the trial in the fall of 1906, and Brown's letter gave a trial national attention. Brown pleaded with Gillette in the letters to accept responsibility for her pregnancy. In her final letter, written in July July 4th, Brown looked forward to her impending Adirondack trip with Gillette, and she said farewell to her childhood home, wishing she could confess her pregnancy to her mother. I know I shall never see them again, and... Mama, great heavens! How do I love Mama? I don't know what I should do without her. Sometimes I think I could tell Mama, but I can't. She has trouble enough as it is, and I couldn't break her heart like I did. If I come back dead, perhaps she does not know it. I, she won't be angry with me. End quote. Copies of Brown's love letters were published in book form and even sold outside the courtroom during the trial. Theodore drives to paraphrase many of the actual letters, quoting the final letter almost verbatim. Jennifer Donnell used many of the actual letters in a northern light. Letters written between the two, as well as the diary of Gillette, had been donated to Hamilton College. Then the trial. The trial lasted three weeks and resulted in a guilty verdict. The New York Court of Appeals affirmed the judgment and Governor Charles Evan Hughes refused to grant clemency. Gillette was executed on March thirtieth, nineteen 1908 in Auburn Correctional Facility by electrocution. So two, a year and a half before execution. They were quick those days, much quicker than, than now with, the, on, uh, with death row. So, anyways, that's just the, the the kind of the historical record of the case, and obviously much has been written about it. But if you know, it's kind of worth looking into what really happened and seeing where, in, in really contrast, what Dreiser's is trying to do here. And he's not really that sold. He's, he's not solely interested in the murder. He's not solely interested in in Roberta Alden, this character, you know, or the real life Grace Brown. He's interested really in the whole sequence of events, the whole social context that created this relationship that created that led to this pregnancy. and some of it's really poor decisions and and some of it's social relations and class and his upbringing So there's a lot that's not really his fault and then there there are things that really are just kind of circumstance, right really just random chance that, that seem to lead to his fate. So that, that makes the novel a little bit more interesting than I think the the real trial. Now, the part of the novel I want to look at today covers covers chapter 17 to 31 of book 2 of the American Tragedy. In the Library of America, that's pages 311 to page 417, so a little bit more than 100 pages. And what this section focuses on is the courtship and the romance between Roberta Alden and Clyde Griffiths, and, and basically leaves it at the moment in which that relationship is about to be broken up by two important, almost simultaneous occurrences. The first is the emergence of a woman, San, what's her name, Sandra Fitchley. Sandra Fitchley is a socialite. She's from another rich family, right? So it's the, another factory owning a scion of another factory owner. And at the same time that the Griffiths have been basically neglecting Clyde's social aspirations and the social life, because Clyde had a lot of hope that he could be part of the Griffith family and and be invited to the party, essentially. He's not getting that, right? They invite him to, like, dinner once or something, but really they, they basically neglect him, and they use him as a supervisor in his factory, but never really... He's very lonely and isolated. But this Sandra Fitchley you know, does provide his way into that, right? So him meeting her and falling in love with her is what basically disrupts his relationship with Roberta. Now, he likes R- Roberta, but he likes this other woman more, and he likes what she can offer more. So he he quickly gets rid of Roberta in his mind and shifts to that. Now, he, you know, that's easy enough. He did seduce Roberta, but, you know, that's that's one thing but he also got her pregnant right so that's the other fact that ends at this point it's like it's not that easy to walk away from Roberta because she is pregnant and Roberta really has is running out of options the longer her pregnancy goes on right she's really desperate to have Clyde marry her or they first try an abortion and that doesn't work but that's all stuff we'll talk about in the next the next episode where these things come together this this section is much more just about Alden and her courtship with with Clyde and as we talked about in the previous episodes uh Clyde is from a religious family not really well educated because of his parents religious focus he ends up going uh being involved in a hit and run and fleeing the west and then he travels around working various odd jobs to, do, to avoid the criminal penalties for this hit and run that he was witness to and a part of and he, you know and he was guilty of fleeing from it but he was not not the driver or anything but you know there's guilt there that he never fully acknowledges um now what does he bring out of this well he brings out of this a very profoundly suspicious attitude towards towards women and there's one woman hortense that he dated back in kansas city who basically was trying to basically trade sex for material favors and money and you know he this he, he never, he gave her a lot of money for, for a cope, but he never actually was able to have sex with her. And their relationship broke up before that. And he always has this kind of hanging over his head of this idea that women are just kind of using him for his money or his position. So there's always a bit of suspicion here. And this is big part of why he pushes Roberta to have sex with him very aggressively. She, she doesn't really want to do it. it's very clear she doesn't want to do it, but she gives in because she falls in love with Clyde and and she sees that it as the only way of getting him. So it kind of the tables get turned. so he almost becomes hortense in the way he deals with Roberta. It's almost inverted in a way or like he becomes the, the one who, has, who who is demanding sex more overtly which something he didn't do with Hortense. It was much more flirting and games and innuendo with, with Hortense. <clears throat> so after the relationship with Hortense, after he had to flee Kansas City, he travels around. He finally is is connected to his uncle, Samuel Griffiths, who owns the, sh- the Collar Factory, and he knew about this his whole life, but he finally got the chance to meet them. He's invited to go there, and he could get a job there, and he takes that opportunity. He works there for a while, and eventually he, he interacts with working-class members of the factory and the community because he's not really being invited to the party of, of the upper-class Griffiths. He eventually does, though, get promoted to be a supervisor of one floor that usually has factory girls working piece rate. While there, he basically gets very attracted to this Roberta Alden. He thinks about her a lot, and partially she becomes... She, she's one of the women he really likes. There's a lot of foreign women there that he doesn't quite connect with. She's beautiful, and she's interesting she she wants to move up in society the same way Clyde wants to and also like Clyde she's she's quite given to erotic tendencies if, if you will she's she's still moralistic so she she's she's able to restrain them in a way but there's an intense sexuality about about Roberta that there's something that Clyde is really attracted to and it's something that you know that their relationship really is physical um, pretty much from the beginning although there is points of attraction between them she's a nice girl and she's a moral girl and she's but she's she's got this overhang of of eroticism i suppose here's how she described at one point uh earlier in their courtship they went about the floor once more then a third time before the music stopped and by the time it did roberta was lost in a sense of delight she had never come to here before to think she'd been dancing and she'd be so wonderful and with clyde he was so slim graceful quite the handsomest of any of the young men on the floor, she thought. And he, in turn, was now thinking that never had he known anyone as sweet as Roberta. She was so gay and winsome and yielding, she would not try to work him for anything. As for Sandra Fitchley, well, she had ignored him, and he might well dismiss her from his mind. And yet, even here with Roberta, he could never quite forget her. Now, it's kind of subtle there, but there's this, the 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 yielding, right? The fact that she's having fun out on the dance floor. So there's this, sensuality tied up in Roberta that he's not getting from from other women not even Hortense who was just beautiful but didn't really inspire him in quite quite the same way she is the kind of girl though because she does have some aspirations to move up in life she she's able to quickly fall for Clyde and and you know see in him a way kind of out of her her life right and, and out of the life that's kind of been pre-written for her as a factory girl or as a farm girl so she's she's kind of limited but she's also very naive about sexuality and about birth control and these things so there's a there's a lot in this character that's that's kind of interesting to to unpack and that's part of the tragedy of course I think had you know had it been someone like Hortense or or who's kind of more down with more honest less naive uh, with Hortense but S- Sandra Fitchley you know would have is, is colder I guess and and wouldn't have been someone who would have given in to Clyde sexually so easily and and you know would have been much more careful about her social position right so there it's like Roberto's the one who of the women in his life who is most likely to lead him on this this past path to um, to tragedy so, what brings about their courtship, from just kind of looking at each other on the factory floor? Oh, one one important thing to remember is that Clyde was given strict rules not to fraternize with with the any you know, of the girls on the factory floor. Right, basically told by his cousin, who's who's kind of a parallel to Clyde in a lot of ways. He's fully in the upper class with his in his family. He's very respectable. He's he's not the kind of guy who's going to be out at night with Working class people, you know, he's he's kind of achieved what Clyde wants to achieve, but he's much more straight than than Clyde is. He doesn't have that that kind. Of, he's not driven to sexuality the way Clyde is, for instance. Um, and, anyways, uh, this cousin gives him the strict orders like you can't, you know, touch any of the girls. You can't date them. You can't really friendize or talk with them at all. That is is not allowed, and that's a really firm rule. And that's that's part of the tragedy as well. Now, a question we could ask is, could Clyde have ever married someone like Roberta given his own aspirations to to kind of move up in the world? They have a lot more in common. They're actually a, a better match, but they're aspirationally in quite different places. Roberta certainly would have been happy marrying Clyde, who was a step up, who would have given her the life she wanted, and there's certainly a physical chemistry between the two, but Sandra Fitchley was what he wanted, right? So they're, they're kind of looking for different things, even though they're both on the same path of, of kind of looking for some degree of, of escape from the world that they, they came from. So that that's kind of an irony and, and a bit of a tragedy or two. And uh, that may be true of a lot of relationships where people get together because they have a lot in common, but they're they're kind of in different places in their life or they're looking for different things and that causes some conflict or or undermines overall happiness. So what happens to, to move them from just a, a kind of a physical, visual attraction to, to, I don't want to say courtship, but a physical relationship is Clyde's like out on a lake or something and he's, she comes by and he runs into her and they, they have a conversation and this is one of their first meetings kind of out in public, out, in, out socially. And he had been thinking about her when this happened. And, and then he's like, well, you know, it's kind of an interesting coincidence. So after that, they, they start to agree to meet secretly. And she's down with the restrictions on fraternization between the supervisor and a worker. So she goes along with this. And they, they actually have fairly elaborate plans about how to meet. He finds out ways to sneak into her room. Um, you know, they, 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 he's very careful that he, he doesn't want anyone else to know that, that he's meeting this woman he's very very uh, good at good at covering his tracks at least as far as covering up the relationship to the average casual observer would would care none of it really holds up in when it when it becomes a legal criminal matter of course and they they both play they're both deceivers to people around them they both uh, lie to people they in, in fact I think Roberto has to move at one point because you know to find a better way to arrange her meetings with with Clyde, so they're both guilty of of deception, right? And of course, by the end of the story, when it is all public, right? Roberta is a clear one hundred percent victim. Clyde's one hundred percent a villain. That that's the public perception of him. And and Dreiser wants to make it more complicated, right? And his characters are, are a little bit more are much more gray than than the public can really stomach. But anyways, about Roberta's decision to give in to his sexual advances, and as I already said, this is a big part of this. Is his experience with Hortense, and Dreiser points this out at various times, where, you know, Clyde is actually thinking of of Hortense's holding out sexual favors, and all the things he did for Hortense, and he's really salty about that, and and he carries that into this relationship with Roberta, who's. Whatever she is, she's not a charity girl. She she doesn't. You don't get any sense that she's a charity girl. She she doesn't date others. She's not. She doesn't flirt. She doesn't really go out and date too many people. She's she's a good farm girl. She's, you know, a bit sensual though, and that that's something that that I guess overhangs her her reality. And we, we see her conflicted about this in the beginning of chapter twenty one. Quote, the state of Roberta's mind that for that night is not easily to be described. For here was true and poignant love, and in youth, true and poignant love is difficult to withstand. Besides, it was coupled with the most stirring and grandiose illusions in regard to Clyde's local, material, and social conditions. Illusions, which had little to do with anything he had done to build up, but were based rather on conjecture and gossip over whom he had no control. And her own house, as well as her personal situation, was so unfortunate. No promise of any kind save in his direction, and here she was quarrelling with him, sending him away angry. On the other hand, he was not beginning to push too ardently towards those troublesome and no doubt dreadful liberties and familiarities which her morally trained conscience would not permit to look upon as right. Now was she to do what was she, how was she to do now? What to say? not was that she had said to herself in the dark of her room after having slowly and thoughtfully undressed and noiselessly crept into that large old-fashioned bed no i wouldn't do that i mustn't i can't i'd be a bad girl if i did that i should not do that for him even if he does if even if he does want me to and he should threaten to leave me forever in case i refuse he should be ashamed to ask me and at the very same moment or the next, she'd be asking herself what else under the circumstances they were to do. For most certainly, Clyde was at least partially correct in his contention that they had scarcely anywhere anywhere else they could go and not be recognized. How unfair was that rule of the company? And no doubt, apart from the rule, the Griffiths would think it beneath him to be troubling with, troubling with her, as would no doubt the Newtons and the Gilpins, for that matter, for they should hear and know who he was, and if the information came to knowledge that would injure him and her. And she would never, and she would not do anything that would injure him, never. So she's going back and forth in her mind, but she's, she's into it, it seems to me. And other monologues where we see Roberto's mind, it seems she's into it. She's always interjecting it with kind of a moral or, or kind of a proprietary requirement that makes her stop, but she's always trying to work her way to how can I sleep with them? So she's, she's into it. She's just burdened by kind of a a certain degree of morality that she has to work around so it's not that hard eventually for for Clyde to 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 get into uh Roberta's bed and they actually use use her room right where he's able to sneak in now of course it all happens off screen but at the beginning of chapter 23 at the end of chapter 21 um she she finally writes him a letter saying okay you know I got something to tell you. Come, we'll, we'll meet in this place. And and the chapter ends. They would meet tonight. He would put his arms around her and kiss her as before. She would be able to look into his eyes. They would not quarrel anymore. Oh, never if she could help it. And then chapter 22 begins. The wonder and delight of a new and more intimate form of contact, of protest, gain, sight, of scruples overcome. Days when both having struggled in vain against the greater intimacy, which both knew that the other was desirous of yielding to, and eventually so yielding. Look forward to the approaching night with an eagerness that was a fever embodying a fear. So, you know, Dreiser is pretty clear here on 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 what happened. You know, sexuality overhangs so much of this book, and you know, I, the words never really said. Everything's in euphemisms, right? The pregnancy is just her trouble. So that 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 part's done, and and that relationship's going ongoing throughout this. It's like the winter. Of of this year, that this is that the kind of the peak of their of their intimacy, and it's at the same time that he starts to get invited to to more s- social betters to fraternize with social betters, right? And that's where he really starts to get introduced to Sandra Fitchley and her circle. And there, there's kind of a small group of people that we're introduced to. He gets invited to a kind of like christmas parties or winter parties and he takes advantage of it. he starts going and he very quickly gets enamored with this lifestyle and the people there and and the kind of their their beauty and he really realizes very quickly that this is what he he wants now while this is going on of course the griffiths had been ignoring clyde seeing him essentially as a bit of a black sheep of the family, useful for the factory, and, and someone of with the name that they had to give some throw some bones to. But they weren't they didn't want to really invite him to the parties, right? To to the family social circle. As he starts entering into that social circle through other families, right, other factory scions and, and you know, young people tied to the elite class of, of Lycurgus, then the Griffiths have to start reevaluating how they interact with Clyde as well, and this really bothers Gilbert, who never really trusted Clyde, never really wanted him around, and warned his father from day one not to not to hire him. So that is that's something that that really embitters Gilbert, right? And actually, Clyde becomes a competitor for Sandra Fitchley, uh, you know, kind of taking her away from from Gilbert. So there's growing tension within the Griffith family, as Clyde be, goes from being just a, a worker who happens to share the name, and then a supervisor to someone who gets seen by the community of Lycurgus, the broader elite community, as, as one of their own, as, as one of them. Even though he doesn't have really the money to back that up, he doesn't have the education to back that up, he doesn't have really the social power to do that. He's starting to gain uh, recognition through, through these other, other people. And Clyde is is certainly aware that, I mean, he never really liked Gilbert. And so he feels that he's kind of affecting some revenge on him and reestablishing a bit of his uh, authority over his cousin by, you know, entering into this network and, and getting closer and closer to someone like Sandra Fitchley. And this is said directly on in chapter 2027, 20, quote, The ensuring December days brought to Clyde some pleasing and yet complicated and disturbing developments. For Sandra Fitchley, having found him so agreeable an admirer of hers, was from the first in Clyde, neither to forget nor neglect him, but occupying the rather prominent social position which he did, she was at first rather dubious as to how to proceed, for Clyde was too poor and decidedly too much ignored by the Griffiths themselves, even for her to risk any marked manifestation of interest in him. And now, in addition to the primary motivating reason for all this, her desire to irritate Gilbert by being friends with his cousin, there was another, she liked him, his charm and his reverence for her, and her station flattered and intrigued her. For hers was a temperament which required adulation in about the measure which Clyde provided it, sincere and romantic adulation. And at the same time, he represented physical as well as mental attributes that were agreeable to her. Amorous without the courage of the time, anyhow, to annoy her too much, End quote. Now that's interesting that Sa- Sandra seems to see he's amorous without, how's it, without the courage of the time. He's basically that, that's a very class based statement there there are things that Clyde is not willing to do to Sandra and now he's not willing to pressure her the way he was willing to pressure not even Hortense but but certainly Roberta who he sees as socially someone under him right someone he can basically demand sex from right in, in exchange for affection and then that's the ultimatum he gives her right now later on Roberta is going to give her own ultimatum like basically you marry me or I'm going to destroy your life you know I'm going to expose you but Clyde was giving his own ultimatums to her, saying, like, if you don't sleep with me, I am, I'm going to leave you, right? I'm not, you know, we can't be together if we don't have a physical thing. That's not something he ever says to, to Sandra. So she gets this impression that he's a gentleman, right? That's what they mean by, you know, without the courage of the time, right? Without just the forwardness of, of, of the time. So Gilbert is, is pretty liquid here in how he deals with women, and it's very much a product of, of the social relations and the class, dynamic right because the one is a class he's trying to escape from the working class and the other is the class he's trying to enter into and he treats one differently than the other now I think there's a there's a broader commentary here Dreiser might be trying to make on the sexual hypocrisies of the time primarily the the fact that uh, how do I want to say this that it's it's increasingly sexually open time right but that's seen as something that the lower class partake in much more right a lot of the reform movements of the progressive era tended to see promiscuity prostitution these things as kind of working class or lower class problems and the upper class you know was able to kind of keep some distance from that now do how is that true I'm not you know we'd have to actually look into it but uh, Gilbert if anything is a reflection of that right that the upper class see the lower class as sexually available that They don't maybe see people their peers in their own class. I think that's that's roughly the point that Dreiser's trying to get at. So, anyways, as he starts seeing Sa- Sa- Sandra Moore, and this is all in the winter, right after their, their, the peak of his sexual relations with with Roberta, and this is a, this is an important timeline. We're talking about this novel of an uh, unwanted pregnancy, so these 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 timelines matter. But he starts, I think, by January late December, January, he starts to openly slight Roberta, break dates with her, see her less, ignore her in the factory floor a little bit more, and just make it more and more clear through the, the social cues, awkward, rather awkward social cues, that he doesn't want to be with her anymore. Now here's the big part of the character flaw of Clyde, is he never confronts Roberta directly, saying, you know, I'm not interested with you anymore. It wouldn't have solved the problem. She's pregnant by this point in the story. But he never actually stands up and says, you know, I'm not interested in you anymore, right? It's out he's he's just trying to be aloof, right? That that very lazy, cowardly way of breaking up with someone. That's it's done not commonly, I I know, but you know, he's he's kind of if this was the Facebook era he would just unfriend her or something or or just stop replying to our messages. Now it's in chapter twenty nine of book two where we get Roberta Reflecting most seriously on, on her choices at at this moment, she she goes to see her parents, um, you know, and she's working out what to do. I, by this point, she's already kind of figured out that the only way she can kind of navigate this pregnancy is if Clyde agrees to marry her, and she she's fairly optimistic that this this can be done. She doesn't really realize how much he's already you know Clyde's already kind of left her behind and here's what here's what she thinks on this Uh, indeed the fact that despite some recent success she has really compromised herself in such a way that unless through marriage with Clyde she was able to readjust herself to the moral level which her parents understood and approved she instead of being the emissary of a solely and modestly improving social condition for all might be looked upon as one who had reduced it to a lower level still its destroyer was sufficient to depress and reduce her even more a very depressing and searing thought worse and more painful still is the thoughts in connection with all this that by reason of the illusions with which she had first dominated her in her connection with clyde she had not been able to make a confidant of her mother or anyone else in regard to him End quote so she doesn't know i mean th- there is like they they know roughly clyde griffith as like the supervisor and you know connected to the family of the company that that she works for but she's never been able to talk to her mom about her relationship with clyde and so, she's not able to, much less talk about her pregnancy, right? And now the timeline here is very important. Like, there's a certain leeway you can have, and it's it's referred to in the novel at a couple points. There's there's certain leeway you can have. It's like a couple months, right? Where if you get pregnant, you can get married, and you can kind of fool most people about the timeline, right? Of course, if people look at a calendar and really figure it out, you know. But then most people are like, okay, well. You know, they got married right away, so it's okay. We just kind of forget it, right? We we ignore it. It's different if you marry when you're five or six months pregnant, or you're showing, right? Then, you know, everyone knows. It's kind of out there, right? So the kind of the plausible deni- deniability of the peers is an important part of the timeline for from pregnancy to marriage to to childbirth, right? If it's too close, the marriage and the birth of the child, it, it no one can can there's there's no illusion that people can give themselves. And that's something that's very much on Roberta's mind at this point point, why she thinks she, she really does need to get him to marry quick. And and it's after two months that she really starts to panic in this regard. The first first month or so it's it's a little bit more relaxed and Clyde and Roberta are talking about it and trying to figure out other solutions to their problem, namely abortions. But it's you know, as it gets closer to that two month point, Roberta gets more and more paranoid and then she it's becoming more and more an issue she's gonna have to explain to her parents and she's trying to though at this point she's just trying to introduce Clyde very subtly to her parents by at one point you like do you have you heard of this guy do you know him and then they saw his name in the newspaper right and this just kind of reinforces this idea that she, he's drifting away from Roberta into this new social circle because uh, it's actually a little news blurb in the in the paper it says miss van de steel of gloveston was hostess to an informal dance held at her home in the city that friday night or this friday night which at which were present several prominent members of the Lycurgus society among them were mrs sandra Fitchley, bertine cranston jill and gertrude trumbull peter haynes and mr's mr's clyde griffiths frank harriet on and on so he's being associated publicly with with the elite of Lycurgus. So that was Christmas back in at Roberta's hometown Then she goes back to like her just um in in chapter 30 and now is when she she really has to start to confront Clyde about her her pregnancy. Now now that'll actually be in the next section I, I believe uh, the next you know in the next episode I'll talk more about this confrontation um, between Clyde and Roberta over this pregnancy, because I think at this point he she actually confronts him not on the pregnancy yet, but on on his feelings for for Sandra Fitchley, and and he, he kind of admits that yeah he's starting to see her socially and things, and, and Roberta breaks down in front of him, and Clyde's a bit taken aback about why she's she's reacting so strongly to to this, and I guess he's looking back at their relationship more casually, and and Roberta's already thinking more and more seriously about the the requirement that that she, she married Clyde, right, if she's going to salvage her life in any way. Um, but that's that's pretty much where we're going to leave off. So the main events that happen here is that Clyde begins the sexual relationship with Roberta. That leads to a, a pregnancy that, at the moment, only Roberta knows about. And then it's really in December, around Christmas, that Clyde Griffith realizes that he has a chance to enter into high society through a relationship with with sandra fitchley or maybe some other high society ladies and he starts actually going out and being invited to parties and with that he starts to turn his back on on Roberta at the very moment that she realizes that she needs to marry him uh, as a way to you know make her her pregnancy socially you know more, you know, fo- you know, moral in the standards of, of the time. So uh, I guess that does it for now. Um, in the next next section of the novel, we'll, we'll look really, the focus will be on, on Clyde's realization that he's a soon-to-be-a-father, and then how he tries to deal with that, um, and how he tries to deal with his relationship with Roberta in the aftermath of this realization. So um, that's it. So I know there's probably a lot I didn't talk about in this section of the novel. So if you read any American Tragedy, or if you have any questions or comments about my thoughts about this part of the novel, please leave them below, or you can send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening, and I'll see you in part five of my comments on An American Tragedy by by Theodore Dreiser the sad story to tell you, it's a story that's never been told.